0: Welcome to the teaching ministry of Faith Bible Church. We pray as you listen to the following message, you will be encouraged and equipped to passionately pursue Christ. For more information, please visit our website at fbcevansville.com. All right, so just some quick highlights um, for Jonathan Goforth, um, born 1859, died in 1936. Uh, he was a Presbyterian missionary. Uh, he was influenced by the Welsh Revival and by Hudson Taylor, which we'll get into in a little while. Uh, his wife was Rosalind. Uh, he was seven of 11 children, really had three other siblings. So his, his dad moved, uh, which we'll get into from England. Um, so he, his first wife died before uh, Jonathan was born. So he had three half brothers as well. Um, and then the last thing there is, uh, the last two things, they had 11 children when they were in China, five died due to sickness or injury, and his eyesight failed him in 1935, um, and that kind of uh, stopped his um, his work there in China. So I, really, I wanted to quickly talk about his wife at first. So his wife is actually the author of the biography that I uh, read through and what we're basing this off of today. Um, She was saved at a young age. She went to a revival meeting, which uh, means a whole lot because Jonathan does a lot of revival work um, in his time in China. Um, People told her how foolish she was for thinking that she could be secure uh, in Christ, especially at the, I think it was at the age of 12. And she stumbled across Upon well, God, letter to John six thirty seven. It says, "All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me, I will by no means cast out." And she did not doubt ever since that day. So, um, she met Jonathan Goforth in Toronto. He was the city missionary at the time, which we'll get into. Uh, she noticed not his shabby clothes, um, but the challenge in his eyes when. When he wasn't looking, uh, when they were at a meeting, she grabbed his Bible and snuck it away and looked at it and saw that it was torn to shreds, and she knew that that was the man that she was going to marry. Um, yes, and then the other thing I did want to mention about her, so if you, if you do want a copy of this, um, you can borrow mine, but I will want it back because I will read it again. So, so okay, so Jonathan Goforth's early years. So the first, one of the first things he says is this woodpecker story. I don't know if you guys have heard this, but I'll, I'll read it um, from the book real quick. So this is, kind of a, this is kind of a flavor of who this guy was. So friends, so he's, he's at a meeting. He says, friends, when I listen to such words have, as we have just been hearing, I have to remind myself of a woodpecker story. A certain woodpecker flew on the top of a high pine tree and gave three hard pecks on the side of the tree, as woodpeckers are wont to do. At that instant, a bolt of lightning struck the tree, leaving it in a heap of splinters on the ground. The woodpecker had flown to a tree nearby, where it clung in terror and amazement at what had taken place. There it hung, expecting more to follow, but as it remained quiet, it began to chuckle to itself, saying, Well, 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 who would have imagined that just three pecks of my beak could have such power as that? And Jonathan Goforth had to remind himself often and to the, his hearers that we would be just as foolish to take the glory away from God who does the work. So as I mentioned before, his father moved from England to Ontario before he was born. And he was born 11, seven of 11 children. They were a poor family. Um, they survived by working hard. He was, his dad was a farmer. And from age five, Jonathan wanted to be a Christian, and at the age of 10, he longed for heaven, but realized that his state was a sad one, that if he died that day, that he would go to hell, and he would perish from God. And it wasn't until the age of 17 um, that he came to Christ, and I'll read that for you as well here. Uh, Mr. Cameron seemed to look right at me, so he was at a a meeting, and he looked right at me, and he pled during his sermon for all who had not to accept the Lord Jesus Christ. His words cut me deeply, and I said to myself, I must decide before he is through. But contrary to his usual custom, he suddenly stopped and began to pray. During the prayer, the devil whispered, put off your decision for another week. Then immediately after the prayer, Mr. Cameron leaned over the pulpit and, with great intensity and in fervor again pled for decisions, as I sat there without any outward sign except to simply bow my head. I yielded myself up to Christ, and since then, so since he came to Christ at the age of seventeen, he went and he got to work. Sorry, my notes printed, and I can barely read them, so sorry for everyone here so he desired to please his master after he came to Christ, and he took on a Sunday school, but that was not enough. So he started handi- handing out tracts to all the people who would come into church, and some wouldn't even sneer at him and laugh at him. And then uh, he would lead an evening service, so that eventually led to an evening service that he led. And then uh, he was given an opportunity to minister to his own family, so he would lead family worship, and that's actually how his father came to Christ, was through that time of family worship um, that he surrendered his life to Christ. Not much later, and this is kind of the first um, experience that Jonathan has with any thought of missions, a Canadian missionary came home and pled with people um, that the heathens needed the gospel, and no one answered the call, and that Canadian ministry went, went away, desponded, desponded from uh, the response, that no one responded, and that cut Jonathan deep, um, and he, uh, from that time, had a... Uh, Call to go um, to the mission field and to China, which we'll get to. So from there, he went on to college. So he went to Knox College uh, with a desire to do missions. Uh, Knox College was known as a Christian college, um, which uh, excited Jonathan Goforth. Um, He soon found out moving to to Toronto that his uh, homemade clothes did not fit in with city living. And um, he he experienced that, and then also his classmates, when they knew that he desired for um, people to know Jesus, for those who are lost to be found, actually made fun of him. They uh, hazed him and um, made fun of him often, and it was a deep humiliation for him. Um, he could not comprehend this. This baffled him that he was at a Christian college and he was being made fun of for his desire for the lost to be saved. Um, but his persistence and constant character at the college actually won over his students, so his fellow classmates. And each of them went up to him and repented um, and, and asked for forgiveness of the way they had treated him. He was actually the first, so eventually he becomes the first Canadian ministry to be supported by his fellow students. Um, so they supported him in money and also in prayer. And 22 of his graduating class actually went into missions um, as not necessarily a direct influence, but because of knowing Jonathan Goforth. Um, he, brought, so he, brought the stu- he brought the gospel to the students, so he, he was sharing with those students. Um, I don't know how many of them came to Christ or how many of them um, got to work um, in missions because of that. But he also um, went to the slums uh, of Toronto and started sharing it from day one. When he arrived in Toronto, he went straight to the slums. Then he went to the jails, and then they gave him. Eventually, after years, they gave him the title "city missionary" uh, for the Toronto Mission Union, and that's how he met his wife, Rosalind. So, if, as you remember. Basically, to sum up Jonathan Goforth's life to, at this point and for the rest of his life is, if you have ears, he's going to tell you about Jesus Christ. This lit. So, yes. So, through this time, um, he, he really just had a strong desire for um, not only those who he's sharing with at home, but also his desire for the heathens to know Christ grew um, during this time. So he had to figure out how to get to China. So he joined the China Inland Mission. Um, one thing I, I'm not going to really note in here is that he was heavily influenced by Hudson Taylor. Um, that was uh, a big reason why he why he wanted to go to China. Um, he was actually met with resistance um, when he wanted to go. Um, they said that there was work to be done at home and he gave them the example of the feeding of the 5,000, and he said, imagine if the apostles just kept going back to the first rows, and no one went to the back rows. And he said, the back rows need to be fed as well. And he said, I, I want to go to the back rows. And he was referring to the Chinese. He was referring to those who had not heard the gospel. So, um, so at this time, um, the church agrees, and they're going to send him and his wife, and they are off for China. So first they left uh, Toronto, went by train to Vancouver, um, and then uh, from there they went by boat to Shanghai. Um, it was a terrible trip. Um, the voyage, so the ship that they were on, it had a reputation for um, heaving and um, turning and, and causing seasickness so much so that they painted the ship and renamed it so that no one would know that that was the ship um, that had that reputation. They didn't find that out after they were on their voyage, so they were seasick for two whole weeks. Um, It was certainly a hardship. So Um, so from there they went to Shanghai, um, that's where they arrived, and uh, Jonathan Goforth was eager um, to get to work, but he had to learn the language. Which would prove to be a very difficult task. So they went. They went from Shanghai and they traveled to the Shifu. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but and they rented a house there. Uh, one night when they were at dinner, um, they heard screaming and they had. Re- they realized that their house was on fire. So they're trying to get things, and, um, it, and most of the their valuables had burned up. So wedding gifts. So they had just recently married and. Uh, his wife is freaking out, and he calmly tells her they're just things. And um, she's putting things away from the house, and the Chinese are taking them because <laughs> no one's there to keep them. So um, he's trying to calm her, and it's it's a very panicked situation. So they eventually recover from that, and um, shortly after this, their first child, Gertrude, is born. Um, And even after that, um, exciting news comes that they get their first mission field. So it's going to be the North Honan um, Providence um, that will be their territory to share the gospel. So before they are even into the North Honan Providence, um, a letter comes and says, if you want to go forward in this territory, you will have to go forward on your knees. And that became their slogan. So that that was their slogan for um, going into this territory. Um, They're about to enter a city that's near it and an older missionary approaches him and says, um, the first time you encounter the Chinese, don't mention Jesus. Don't say the name. They have reproach for the name. Just kind of ease into it. He made it a point (laughs) to mention the name of Jesus Christ. So he, he made sure that they heard the simple gospel, that they heard the name. And thousands of Chinese heard the gospel as he went from town to town. Yes, Goforth couldn't imagine uh, not telling someone the gospel, so that was not an option for him. He simply told them of a great savior for the need of great sinners. Sadly, after this, um, shortly after this, little Gertr- Gertrude died. Um, it was a great. Um, heartbreak, and um, their response is amazing um, to this. Um, I can't, I can't imagine um, what they went through, but this is, this is their response. So Gertrude Madeline is dead. Hers is an awful loss, but on July twenty-fourth she died only six days after was she was taking ill with dysentery. There is no burying place here for foreigners, so I took her body in a cart to paint Panchwang. "'50 um, miles away. A Chinese service was conducted for, by the missionary. "'Then the rude coffin, covered with flowers, was borne by four Chinese outside the village wall. "'There in the dusk of evening, with scores of curious heathen looking on, "'we laid our darling to rest beside two other dear little foreigners "'who were laid to, sleep, laid to rest before her. "'None but those who have lost a precious treasure can understand our feelings.'" But the loss seems to be greater because we are far away in a strange land. All things work together for good. the Lord has a purpose in taking our loved one away. We pray that this loss will fit us more fully to tell these dying millions of him who has gained the victory over death. So that happens um, but God works in a mysterious way. so um, he had, Jonathan Goforth had been struggling with understanding the language, and right after this he has an intense struggle where he says, I don't know how I can continue if I don't understand, start to understand some of the idioms, some of the ways that the language works. And God, um, through prayer, helps him to understand. And he has a deep understanding um, that really impacts him and helps him to be um, a tremendous speaker um, that the Chinese can understand. Uh, after that, Donald is born, um, but more heartache. Um, he's 19 months. He falls off a balcony. Um, they think he's all right, but he starts to get worse and worse and worse, and um, he eventually dies. Um, from there, um, they go to. Um, hold on. So they're so during this time they're moving closer and closer and, uh, to the North Hunan province, and they reach the city of Chuwang. Um, and it's really their first foothold in North Hunan. Um, from there, they go to these small villages, uh, from village to village, telling them of the wonderful Savior. Thousands of Chinese hear um, the gospel. And what was remarkable about this is that Goforth would walk miles and miles. It, it amazed people that he would go um, all day. He would speak, and then he would just walk and he was by no means an athlete, but endurance, um, no one can match. And it amazed um, the fellow evangelists and those around him. So the, the city that Goforth really wanted to get to was Shangti. Um, oh, I forgot to the get there. Um, so this was a bigger city that they wanted to get to, um, that he wanted to get to. And they were actually instructed um, that if they um, went here, that they would receive no outside help. So this was kind of outside the means of the other stations that were around them. And if he was to go there, he was going there basically by himself. Um, so him and his wife go there. Um, they're preaching the, the gospel to thousands of people. They're having meetings all day long. Um, Goforth and his wife both get worn out. Um, they're, to the point that they can't go any further. And they, and they pray to God that he would answer their prayer um, for an evangelist to give them relief when um, they got tired. And God answers in the way that only God can, and he provides them Wang Fulin, Lin, um, who's a former gambler and um, opium smoker, um, a Chinese man um, who has a gift of storytelling that God had saved. He doesn't live for very much longer after this, but it's a it's a beautiful time, and he's a great um, expounder of the gospel for them, and he really helps them in their ministry and gives them the rest that they need for a short time. And in just five months um, at Shang-Ti, twenty five thousand people hear the gospel through them through their ministry. Um, so they're busy; they're 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 working their tails off um, by God's grace. So. While they're there, um, they have um, a struggle in their minds of building a home. So do they want to build a more Chinese-style home or a more semi-foreign uh, home? And they decide to do the semi-foreign uh, home um, even against kind of um, their governing um, board and even, even against some of their own thoughts. But it works out uh, in their favor um, It actually what they thought would be a deterrent for people um, meeting with him. Actually, thousands of people flock to their home. So they start giving home tours to show them um, the uh, Western uh, things in their house and try to keep the Chinese from slipping things in their sleeves and uh, try to keep their valuables. But they're able to share the gospel through this, where um, they open their home up and they're pe- playing the organ um, and singing hymns and uh, sharing the gospel. Um, like, like I said, um, they, they do experience a lot of heartache. Um, at this time, um, they're separated by, I think, a couple of years. But uh, Florence, their oldest daughter, um, she passes away from sickness. And then Gracie as well. And she actually dies in Jonathan Goforth's arms, um, smiling um, as a baby, um, which is, is just terrible. But um, they experienced that. I mean, that was part of going to China during this time was just... There's sickness everywhere, and um, it, was just a, it was just the daily um, normal for them. Um, through through um, the hospitality that they show, uh, it really opens doors for the Chinese who feel loved by them. They know that, um, that, they, that they care about them, and they love to the go for us because um, they know that they care about them. And it opens it opens doors and opens hearts uh, for them to share the continue to share the gospel. So the boxer rebellion. Um, so they're in Shangti and they're sharing the gospel and they get a message that says flee south. And I can't. I don't have time this morning to go through the detail of. All the times that they escaped death, and how many times um, they face angry mobs, and they're going from city to city to try to flee the country. Um, but I can give you um, Goforth's response as he is as he has left, and he's on his way back to Canada for a short time while this is going on. Um, a box, the Boxer Rebellion was um, the Chinese people rebelling against foreigners. So this was from the. Imp- Empress down to the common people. Um, they were angry with those who had come into the country. And you can kind of see why. Um, here, find the page. But. Okay. okay, so this is by Jonathan Gofor. So, who caused the Boxer movement in China? We believe the first great cause of this uprising was the land-grabbing greed of the great nations. Their seizures or proposed seizures of Chinese territory was the great irritant. Germany, filled with the idea of becoming a great colonial power, seized um, Chiachau Bay and laid claim to the whole of Shantung, a prominence of 108 counties. As soon as Germany has seized, uh, Russia seized Port Arthur and claimed all Manchuria as her sphere of influence. And it goes on and on. It goes from France to Italy, and even Japan. And what he says at the end is, "...what appeared in public print about these seizures and proposed seizures of Chinese territory was known all over China. What were these poor Chinese to imagine?" Now, apply the same treatment to ourselves. Imagine several of the big nations attempting the crying injustice of carving up our dominion to gratify their greed. It seemed to them as a people from the empress down that the only way to escape the evil was to destroy and spell all foreigners. So they're forced to return home to Canada, uh, a forced furlough, and they come home to the church, and it is in a very sad state. Its interest in missions, uh, which was thriving when they left, has dwindled, and um, according to Goforth, its worldliness had increased. Um, it was a sad return, and the Goforths wanted to return, home, return back to China as quick as possible. So Jonathan Goforth actually leaves, and his, wi- his wife and children stay, but he leaves um, back to China. And... Um, as soon as w- his wife and children are able to come, um, he tells them of his new plan. So he has a new plan that he's going to move from city to city um, every couple months. And oh, sorry, every couple months. And the plan is is to establish that city, um, to share the gospel ex- uh, intensively for a couple months. Um, have evangelists come, um, establish it, and then move on and to live like that for a long time. So that they do this, they're given a three year trial by their board, and it's radical living. And they go from town to town, and, th- and thousands and thousands more Chinese hear the gospel. Um, yes. So from that, uh, Jonathan Goforth was not satisfied with his success. Um, that was very common from him. He he wanted to give all, um, and uh, from unknown um, people to them started sending them pamphlets from the Welsh revival, and this hit home with Jonathan Goforth. Um, he he started to study the Holy Spirit, and he came he he became fascinated um, with this idea that. God by his spirit um would cause um people to repent and, and just in a wide category um and he he says it better in um in his response to it but let me read that real quick so he kind of gives the what, what in a revival is and he also um tells Kind of his thoughts about it. So he says, A revival is a purely philosophical result of the right use of constituted means. It is not a miracle, nor dependent upon a miracle. There has been a long idea prevalent that promoted religion has something very peculiar in it, not to be judged by the ordinary rules of cause and effect. The doctrine is more dangerous to the prosperity of the church. It No doctrine is more dangerous than this to the prosperity of the church. Suppose a man were to go and preach this doctrine among farmers about their sowing grain. Let him tell them that God is a sovereign and will give them a crop only when it pleases him, and that for them to plow and plant and labor as if they expected to raise a crop is is very wrong, and taking the work out of of the hands of God. And suppose the farmers should believe such doctrine. Why, then, the world would starve. I fully believe that could facts be known, it would be found that when the appointed means have been rightly used, spiritual blessings ha, have been obtained with greater uniformity than temporal ones. So he came He came to a realization about the Spirit's working and also um, his working, um, and it's hard for me to explain that. Um, but... This really, this really did have a deep impact on him, and um, it caused him to search the scriptures and to really pay attention to who the Holy Spirit was and how the Holy Spirit um, influenced them going forward. Um, he took a trip to Korea and saw um, the revival that was happening in Korea, um, and that only sp- spoke the fire uh, even more. Um, He started giving talks. Uh, That title there is actually one of the title of his talks about um, revival in the area and his desire for revival in China. And from that, um, he became um, sort of an unknown missionary to a known missionary in the world, really, at that time. So they ended up taking another furlough in Canada, and um, the state of the church is not much different from when he uh, came back to his home church. Um, some people saw him as spirit, a spirit-filled man um, who was uh, urging uh, people to take mission seriously, to take um, their walk with God seriously. Um, some saw him as a fanatic um, that would, it would be better if he was shunned and not welcomed back to the church. Um, So he got a very mixed response. He was able um, to go to uh, Spurgeon's church, actually, um, and speak there um, at kind of a tent meeting outside of there. And uh, first, um, it was pretty apparent that he was on trial, but soon after, he won over the crowds there um, with with the gospel um, as he spoke. So... He makes the so he makes the return trip to China, and he basically is starting over. So the evangelists that he had um, had went to other stations, and he wouldn't really have it any other way. He didn't want to um, build on any, anyone else's work. Um, he he wanted to show God's working um, in the mission field there. So he prays um, for evangelists, um, and God answers him um, by sending um, evangelists. So there was. Two Chinese, um, um, I think they, they were scholars at the time, or um, they had been, been through school, and they uh, became really important speakers for him. And also there was another station that um, had no opportunity for those who were ready to go into the mission field. And he sent a letter to him asking for evangelists, and the guy actually sent a letter at the same, same time saying, we have evangelists for you. And it was really, it was really sweet to see God working in that way. Um, you also see at the time, in China, um, He encounters a young man who says, uh, "You say this, but this other teacher says this. I don't know what to believe." And that is what kind of what moderate modernism is. Is um, it's kind of the replacing of old traditions, old ideas um, with new ones. And this was happening with Christianity, too, as the old doctrines and um, the old way of thinking um, was how they were phrasing it um, should be replaced by new, uh, more um, acceptable ways of thinking. And this, this really, um, I don't know if the word is irritated Jonathan Goforth, but it really saddened him to see the, um, the start of this And we'll see this even more um, when he returns. Okay. So at this time, um, he's getting older. Um, He started to develop abscesses and carbuncles, I I don't know, is that carbuncles? Which caused him great discomfort. Um, It it got worse and worse to the point that he um, he actually had to go home because uh, it was it was going to cost him his life is what the doctor said if he continued because his his health was getting worse and worse. Um, as he goes home, um, he, encounters, um, he encounters the invasion of higher criticism. That's just another um, term for modernism. So that's in the church, and he has a pretty sharp disagreement that those who have this view and the fundamentalists should have equal weight um, in how they... Proclaim their ideas, and he would not stand for this. He, he didn't want anyone who had this modernist view um, to have a foothold in the church because he saw the damage that it had done in China um, with that young man. So um, he ended up being willing to resign, but they um, let him go back to China, and <clears throat> he was free to do um, his revival work. So that was renewed. Um, so he was able to freely do that and not have, um, he, he wasn't. Um, stationed in Shangti anymore so he was free to go about in China where he wanted um, he, he was not he was not going to rest um, even in his older age and even with his health issues he was still working hard still speaking still walking um, still anyone who was around was going to hear the gospel uh, he read when he was in China he read his Bible from front to cover front to back uh, 73 times and he also read it many times in the Chinese language as well in the New Testament. Um, that, that was a fuel to his ministry. I, I just, I just try to think of uh, things even in older age, what, what was his motor, what kept him going. And he just knew, the, knew God's word, and um, that propelled him. Um, he also, at this time, um, he meets... Um, He meets General Fang's army, so there's an invitation for him to come and speak to his soldiers. Um, and he, he, him, and his wife go and meet with the officers and their wives. And he actually speaks to about a thousand officers, and they all um, profess Christ, um, or at least most of them do um, uh, profess Christ. And uh, The general, who was a Christian, desired uh, for their country to know this great Savior. So they met and prayed. And it's a really cool scene um, in the biography that uh, this army, along with the Go Force, are crying out to God uh, for the salvation of those in China. So from there, um, he is fearing um, being retired by his board. So he uh, starts to work even harder. Um, he uh, kind of makes it a, a hard task to make him retired. Um, he's going to do his work, and he's really effective, so it's, it's hard for the board to justify retiring him. Um, while, in, um, while in Canada, so they're back on fur- furlough again, uh, Rosalind is in the hospital, and throughout uh, the biography, um, she um, is um, challenged by Jonathan Goforth. So, He says, we should give all our money. She says, well, we we don't have to. Um, Or um, he says, we need to go uh, into danger. We need to go to the next city and not get comfortable. But what about the children? And you can just see the impact on her throughout the book. And you can see that she's in the hospital, uh, not doing well. And she's just barely recovered. And there's a call for, for Jonathan Goforth to go back to China and he looks at her, and she says, I'm going with you. So they, they go back. They go back to China um, almost in their 70s, um, and, they're, and they're going back. So he goes to Manchuria this time, and he's doing the exact same thing. It's simple. From morning to evening, um, they're speaking to the crowds, sharing the gospel with them. Uh, they don't have any money to pay any evangelists, but they get them anyways, and got, and uh, Gofor says, well, God will provide the money. So they bring on evangelists, and Um, He doesn't ask anybody for anything, and um, God meets that answered prayer. The evangelists come, and also the money comes for the provision. So they continue. They go city to city. Um, One winter in Manchuria, they um, opened up uh, their uh, house or where they were at, this large meeting room, and they had a huge fire. And those who were coming uh, in the winter, is a terrible winter. They're half alive. They're going in, Uh, to get warmed, and they're hearing the gospel. So um, he he is providing for them, and also they're able to hear the gospel. In one of the cities that they're going through um, that's around Manchuria, I can't remember the name of it, but um, they called it the plague. So They're going through... Sickness is always a concern um, as they're going city to city, especially in China um, at this time. And um, one of the cities that they leave, I think they say that winter, a third of their population died from this plague, this sickness that was going around. So now we're coming towards the end. um, And his health is starting um, to get worse. Um, he's actually bedridden for a little while, and which gives him the opportunity to write. So the biographer—sorry, biographer, um, uh, the biography that I am presenting today is from his wife, but he actually wrote a couple other books. So one book is the stories, um, just really conversion stories of the Chinese. It's a full book, and that's all that it is. And then the other book is more about um, the Holy Spirit and revival um, at that time that he wrote as well. So he has an opportunity to write since he's not um, actively speaking um, to the Chinese. Um, like I said, God met so many of their needs. Um, he was never going to ask a man. I don't, I don't think I read a single sentence that said, and he asked someone to provide their needs. It was always through prayer, and it was always through a means that they didn't expect. Um, they do go back to China. um, They're on furlough again. Um, They return back to China again, and you start to see the political changes in China. So they go back to a city, and there's actually a uh, fence around the city, and the city officials are saying this is to keep the bandits out, but they uh, intuitively say, well, it's actually to keep the people in. And Around that time, that is when um, he goes blind. So he's, he's struggling. Um, one of his um, retinas became, becomes detached, and then the other one happens um, so that he actually does go physically blind. Um, and this is about 1935 when this happens. So um, after this, um, he's still in China, he's, still, he's blind and he's still in China, he's trying to work, and he gets, he gets letters um, from those at home urging him to come home and says, the church needs you to talk about these things, to urge people to care about missions, to care about Christ. Uh, the church's state is a sad one, and um, he keeps refusing. He says, my, my work here is in China, and um, eventually he does decide to go and And he does does become convinced that this would be God's will. And he goes home and he starts to um, give talks there and to encourage um, the churches there. Um, The last talk he gives is actually a plea for revival. He talks about what happened in Korea. And he says, if if you humble yourselves and seek the Lord, um, he will give you the same blessing and same outpouring um, that would happen in Korea, only if you would obey him. Um, the next morning, his wife finds him, um, thinking that he's sleeping, um, but he actually had passed in his sleep. Okay. So that gives me a little bit of time for application. So lessons from go forth. Um, he was persistent in the gospel. Um, there was, there was no mincing of words. There was no, um, it was, it was pretty black and white for him. Um, he, it's not. It's not super exciting. He doesn't give you a whole lot of necessarily even theology, but he just said, "I I want to bring the gospel to those who don't know Jesus Christ," and that and that's convicting for me. I think I think about that um, when I'm speaking to people. Am I trying to dance around Jesus Christ, or am I am I really just that's who I want them to know? Is that is that who I'm concerned about them knowing, um, and not really that that. First encounter with the old missionary that told him not to mention Jesus the first time really hit me um, as um, a temptation for me um, and for um, others. Um, yeah. and, that, and that was more what I was trying to say earlier that hard work and the spirit working are not opposites. So work hard, um, but know that God gets the glory and God um, changes hearts, is more of what I wanted to say about that. Um, for go forth, uh, rest was heaven. So this is not to say that um, just burn yourself out, but where he found rest, there was, no, there was no sense of the word retirement for go forth. There was no sense of the word, well, when I get to, when I get to 70, I'm going to slow down. Um, he, he can really hear those words from Jesus, well done, good and faithful servant. It's not, those are not um, empty words for him. Uh, minimal obedience was not satisfying. So as you, as you heard, he shared the gospel with thousands and thousands of people, but he was not satisfied because he knew that Jesus was worth even more than that. Always. always, um, There was never a, well, I've done my part. And I, and I think that's a temptation is for me to see what, what's the minimal obedience that I can do um, as a believer before God. Um. Also, a faith that moves forward pleases the Father. So, as I mentioned with Rosalind, um, there's always times where Goforth said, "Well, we just we need to do this next uncomfortable thing," and, and and it was really it was really challenging for her, and it's really challenging for the reader as well um, because it's hard. Um, this kind of faith is hard, but it is. But Goforth reminds us that that is a faith that pleases our Father. And then just some quick lessons for the church, and if you guys have any questions, I'll get, open that up for a minute. Um, holding the rope. So um, that story was in there. Um, that, before they left, there was a story of a missionary um, that was going to Africa, and I can't remember the area, but it was almost certain death. And, and they told the congregation, they told the people that were sending them, um, if you pray, if, if you hold the rope, we'll go down. And it shows a sad uh, end to that story when the missionary returns home and the people are not praying for him. And he had come home and his wife had died and uh, the mission had failed. And he goes, I know why, the, I know why it failed, because the people didn't pray. Um, that's, that's the type of relationship um, that we need to have with our missionaries. Um, within our church. So are we an encouragement or are we a mission field? Um, Are we the church that encourages Jonathan go forth when he comes home or is it the church that makes him want to leave as quickly as possible and go back? Um, And uh, and just some helpful ways, um, having conversations with missionaries. So not talking about um, the pacers or talking about certain things with missionaries when they come home, but talking about their work encouraging them, remembering them. Um, also doing this in prayer and also in our giving. Does that reflect uh, what we value? So uh, I'm going to pray, and then I'll open it up for a quick question if anybody has it. Father God, um, thank you um, for Jonathan Goforth. Um, not someone that is necessarily well-known, God, but you know him. And um, thank you for the impact on the Chinese. God, and the thousands that heard the gospel and even those who came to know you um, through his ministry, God, I pray that we would be encouraged to seek your face and to know you more intimately. In your name we pray, amen. All right, any questions? So, um, talked about the Welsh Revival. Yes. So he's a bit of contemporary of Marco Jones. Sure. Uh, kinda. Um, so I think I think from my understanding of the reading is whenever you are, um, it's it's being available. <laughs> it's not that the Spirit is going to work regardless if you're walking in the Spirit or not. So he said, walk by the Spirit. Um, put put to death the deeds of the flesh, and God will make it known through that that His Spirit works through that. Um, so he said he said that those are not necessarily opposites, or that they're not different, they don't happen on different time waves, so if that makes sense.